Welcome to the big kickoff. It is the 14th of June and this weekend sees the welcome return to the Premier League following COVID-19 lockdown. And Tom, there's a whole load to look forward to. Yes, there is, Roy. There is a lot to look forward to. Football is coming home. That's right. Football is coming home finally. Not in terms of the Euros that were supposed to be kicking off in the last few days, which England were obviously going to bring home after the hype. <laughs> but no, after three months, I think it's 100 days exactly now for today, uh, without a ball being kicked in the Premier League and no match of the day on our TVs, the Premier League is returning on Wednesday, the 17th of June. The third major league to return behind the Bundesliga and the Spanish La Liga that kicked off on Friday. Now, the first of the fixtures coming up on the Wednesday is uh, relegation-threatened Aston Villa, who are fighting for their lives in their welcomed return to the Premier League. And they're taking on fly-high Sheffield United, who are somehow up in the European spot following a great debut season. And that's followed by Manchester City trying to bridge that 22-point gap to ah. big struggles Arsenal, <laughs> trying to fight for sort of European football in the 2021 season. <laughs> but uh, after those games are played, that'll end up with the league and all 20 teams having nine league games remaining, uh, plus obviously any FA Cup fixtures that uh, teams are still fighting for. Now, obviously, we've seen a few changes, a few structural changes to the leagues that have already been reintroduced post this COVID-19 area. The Bundesliga and Spanish Liga that have come back. Now, I actually was looking around this. Uh, now everything's behind closed doors with the ghost games that journalists like to use, I think, as the term. But the home advantage now is gone in this with new structure of football. Home advantage is gone. I was looking, according to ESPN, in a, uh, from a report on Tuesday, since the Bundesliga return, home teams have won 20, 21.7% of their matches, which is down for, from 43.3% before lockdown and uh, stopping of any league. Now, I'm no mathematician, I'm really not. But if you split it into three categories, you either win, draw or lose. Surely having that home advantage is worse because if you think about it, the splitting into three, it's 33.3% per a win, a draw and loss. But, but it seems like it's a further advantage if you're in the away team rather than the home team. Tom, Tom, we have, if you think about, we have clubs who hugely rely on support like the likes of Newcastle. So this, this could be a, a big problem for the, the, the relegation teams. And it could help them, I suppose, when they're playing away from home. But certainly some teams are more reliant on their fans than others, as Borussia Dortmund found out over in Germany. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think any, I think any team, if you're fighting on any front, if you, even, even Liverpool will struggle because they'll have a different pressure where they're fighting for a league title that they haven't won ever. And they're gonna, they're, they're, let's be honest, they're pretty much going to win. They're going to win the league and have a huge bottle job, which I can see if any team's going to do it. It could be Liverpool. but. But yeah, doing it in front of the fans, it just bring, it, it's a different contrast of, of play, isn't it? Yeah. You, can't, you can't respond to fans' reactions to certain things. I think, personally, it could help the likes of league strugglers Norwich, who are obviously rock bottom of the Premier League, but only by three points adrift. There's not that pressure. There's no pressure on them. There's no pressure on the manager from the fans. 
So it might allow them to play their perhaps more freestyle attacking football rather than concentrating too much on their own game. Yeah. They have that sense of freedom, sense of belief on the pitch. Yeah. You, it, it was an interesting thing because Spurs, they have a lot of injured players back, which is, it was like say, Harry Kane, Sissoko, Son, Bergwin. Uh, I know Deli Ali has a match ban, but he'll be back straight after that match ban. Yeah. So Mourinho has no excuses now. Yet yeah, now they, I know it was only a friendly and they got beaten by Norwich the other day, 2-1 against behind closed doors. Yeah. But he was already kind of making his his excuses. You know, we're going to have to get used to the intensity of the game without a crowd. And this is going to test, it's going to test the likes of Mourinho now. He's no excuses. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's, maybe that's where he falters a little bit because when he loses, obviously, he's, not, he's, only, he's only been in charge of Spurs for a while, but at teams like Man United, it was a lot, there was a lot of blaming the players after defeats or fans kind of getting under his skin and things like that. It's happened to him before. But now it's actually coming down to him managing now because obviously with a much stronger team than actually he had before lockdown, his tactical management is going to have to be much better with team selection and obviously five substitutions now being allowed within the game as kind of a rule to bring in. Yeah. He's, he's got a bit more versatility. So it could come down on the managers to actually see how good they are, which is where it could test the likes of Lampard, who's having, I personally, being a Chelsea fan, I think he's having a great season at Chelsea. I just, I, I, when the season started, I just wanted them European football at some point this season to be in fourth place. But for the first time now, since he's taken over, Chelsea have got a fully fit squad. No yeah. injury, nothing. So, now it's going to come down to the manager's bottle and finding that right right balance in the team now. Yeah. Just lastly on this, preparation, you know, they've never had so much time between the last game in March and this week where they can do their homework on other teams. They can try and figure out other teams. So let's say you mentioned Sheffield United earlier. Are they going to get figured out now? Because you normally don't get figured out till your second season. But now, after that little break, are they going to get figured out fairly quickly? Or are you going to have a clever manager who's going to change his style a bit so they don't figure out? There's a lot of there's a lot of different things now teams could have done in this sort of in this break. Yeah, definitely. I think it's I think it's helped the managers definitely because of that man. They can analyze more teams. They can analyze their games and how they play. But I think. I think I don't think it will help them because obviously Sheffield or and any other teams can change the style of play and how they play. But on on, on any sport, it comes down to on the day really. The, yeah. You can match the tactics, you can change your tactics around. But if it's not working, then it's not. It, that's that's not going to affect your team. But obviously, as a way of analysing teams, obviously teams are going to change. But as soon as they bring in different personnel. Obviously, they may have injuries. I think Sheffield United are actually quite okay on their um, injury front. They haven't got many, many in, many out, as a, as it were. Yeah. But I, th- I think, in a way, that I think that's the kind of thing where you they're going to stay in the Premier League, going to have another season. I think that's when they need to probably change to and adapt the way that they play in style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's got it's got to be hugely interesting. It's like a brand new season, albeit a mini season. 
Peter, you wrote about it on the bigkickoff.com about the start of the new season and you touched on what Tom has uh, brought to us there. Again, there is going to be a lot of a lot of advantages that used to be there that aren't there now. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Tom said about home advantage. I mean, that's been proved in the Bundesliga, as he correctly, uh, correctly pointed out there. And I generally feel this season that's left, remember, uh, nine games still to go. I think there's going to be so many surprise, surprise results. Um, you can forget about home form, forget about away form. Remember, uh, Roy, everybody is going to start at nil-nil, basically. It, it, as you said, it's going to be like a completely new season. Forget about the last three months, how much training they've been doing uh, indoors, how much they haven't been doing, how much they've been doing the last couple of weeks. You know, that's all going to be completely forgotten. And I generally feel, as I say, there will be situations where sides are going to tire in particular. Uh, remember, they haven't played competitive football for at least three months plus. And that is a very, very long time to be out of the game without having any form of competition, it has to be said, more than anything else. So this is where I think squads in particular and strengthening depth for squads are going to be key to the remaining eight or nine games. And I also thoroughly agree with Tom's point as well, which uh, I generally feel that the relegation sides, as it stands at the moment, and the sides obviously hovering just above them as well, I think they're going to have a big advantage because whereas before they were under immense pressure because they knew exactly what they've got to do. Yeah, they still know what they've got to do. But because, in my opinion, everyone's going to start off, as I say, at a level playing field more than anything. Um, home advantage, forget that. No fans. You won't have any away fans, true. But when these teams, especially the relegation side in particular, they won't have, for instance, if they're playing at home, they're not going to have their home fans giving them pressure. If they fall a, a goal down early on, you won't have the home fans getting bad towards them. And I think that is going to be another massive help to them as well. And as I said, you know, it's, it's happening in a lot of these leagues that have returned. You are getting surprise results. You are seeing teams now playing entirely different than what they did before the actual uh, uh, season was suspended uh, around Europe. And I, as I said, I think... Uh, you know, that's going to play a big issue. And also, you, you know, Tom mentioned about managers, players and everything else. You've got to remember, uh, you know, or I talk about the fact that players are, are physical more than anything else and their their injury situation. I think that's going to play an important part as well because I've noticed in a lot of European games, you're getting so many players going down injured. Yeah, most of it's through cramp, but uh, Tottenham have got players coming back long-term from injuries as well. It's not the ideal situation when you're going to have to play so many games squeezed into a short space of time. So uh, it's going to be fascinating, Roy. But as I said in my piece, I generally feel uh, there's going to be so many surprise results. So, you know, you, yeah, all right, we all know Liverpool have, have wrapped up the Premiership. You know, forget about the fact that they might stutter over the line Possibly they might do, but at the end of the day, they're going to be crowned deserved uh, Premiership uh, winners. But it's, at, it's this fight at the bottom, isn't it? Where Norwich, Aston Villa, Bournemouth, Watford, West Ham, Brighton even, Southampton looks safe, it has to be said. But either of those sides could still get dragged into this relegation dogfight. 
because of the fact of the games they've got left. You know, and as I say, forget about looking on paper saying, well, yeah, that should be three points. That should be an away win. You know, you can really forget all about that. Everyone starts at nil-nil and it's going to be fascinating. It really is. Yeah. One of the things that they were talking about, Dave, before the league resumed was contracts. And Ryan Fraser from Bournemouth is refusing to play beyond his contract. He has been with the club since they were in the League One. They've brought him, brought him through the, the academy and up into the team. And now, in probably in their hour of need, he's not going to play. What, what do you make of that? Um, in relation to Brian Fraser, definitely for me personally, it leaves a bit of a sour taste because I thought he's had a quiet season. Yeah. I think he's kind of started to believe his hype. Um, I'm presuming somebody potentially has him tapped up or wrapped up because it's a big risk if he doesn't play and then all of a sudden these bigger teams or bigger paying teams don't come in from and all of a sudden he ends up kind of drifting away and everyone's going remember him or another player who kind of showed promise and then drifted away once he he started to fancy the smell of himself if you know what I mean for the want of a better word so he I'm presuming he has something lined up because otherwise this is a big big risk Um, and and if if it doesn't I mean, if that doesn't come, come true, other teams are going to look down on him uh, for, you know, not exactly. the, the lack of loyalty, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and that's why I'm saying I presume he has a club ready to go because otherwise I think it's a big risk. And if I was one of the bigger teams looking at bringing in somebody like him, I'd be thinking twice. And that's for me personally, that's for sure. Yeah. But it's a sad end for his career at a at, uh, at Bournemouth considering he was there with them from League One upwards. Like, and it's, uh, yeah, I, if I was a Bournemouth fan, I'd be, a bit, I'd be definitely sour about it. That's for sure. Yeah, Tom. Just to finish off with you, give us a prediction on who you think will be in the top four. Who do you believe is going to be relegated? Because it's going to come quick and fast now. On top of us between the first game and the last game, and yeah. uh, so we, so we can play it back to you uh, when you get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's top two are pretty much decided, aren't they? Liverpool, Man City to come one and two. I think there's a big fight for the top four between the three remaining clubs of Leicester City, Chelsea and Man United. They're so close. From third to fifth, there's only eight points in it. I I can see I can see the top four remaining the same. However, I think the biggest switch could be I think I could see United pushing into that top four and either being Chelsea or Leicester City coming out of the top four. Um which hurts me as a Chelsea fan. But uh <laughs> And United, United have a tough game in their first, don't they? It's Spurs, so yeah. they could fall on well, their face fairly quickly. I watched a few highlights of their um, one of their uh, behind-closed-doors friendlies and Pogba and uh, Bruno Fernandes played for the first time together in that midfield. And some of the passing and connections and that they were making were insane, giving a whole new dynamic to that uh, United team, which I think could be proved pivotal in the, their last remaining nine fixtures. I really do. As it turns to the relegation, I, th- I think Bournemouth will survive. I think, I think it could be West Ham uh, to drop down into that relegation. I think it will be Norwich, Villa and uh, West Ham. Just because of um, some of their, kind of their, some of their league uh, remaining fixtures, I think they might struggle. Um, and I think Bournemouth, with the team that they have and the manager of Eddie Howe, I think he knows what he needs to do to uh, to get. And obviously, West Ham have got Ogbonna. Uh, he's got a knee injury currently. He's currently being assessed over the last few days. 
Um, but he's only got a 50% chance of being actually fit and ready for when the season starts. So I think that could be a big loss for West Ham. Yeah, I think I think I could uh, I, I might agree with you. Bournemouth had a lot of players out injured; they were struggling, and this is probably a blessing in disguise for them. So oh, I might go with you there on that one. And, and West Ham haven't been blown the the Premier League apart at all whatsoever. So yeah, we uh, y- you might get that one right, Tom. You might get that one. Yeah. Dave, Major League Baseball is looking to come back, but there's a big stumbling block. Uh, take a guess of what, what it could be, Roy. Pretty much <laughs> like everything else. It's called money. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, so basically, uh, they've, they've things called CBAs, Collective Bargaining Agreements, and they sign them for every, every couple of seasons. They could be for two or three years, and it's kind of uh, wage caps and, and salary caps for different levels of players, and then for the clubs as well, the salary caps. Anyway, long story short, the they've been in they've been in um, talks in relation to the pay, where basically the players basically just want to get paid their full wage. Now, not their full annual wage. If they're going to play for say three months, they want three months of their salary. So, say for example, for Easy Maths, you earn twelve million dollars. It's a million dollars a million dollars a month. If I'm playing for three months, I want three million dollars. That mm. sounds fair enough, doesn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So that's what the players are looking for. The clubs, uh, not so much. Um, they've been kind of to and fro going, right, we'll play a, a 70-odd game season and we'll play you 70% of your pro-rated salary. Because their reasoning is uh, they play, uh, what's their exact season? 120-odd game season, I think. So they have over 60 home games a season. So that's 60 games of, uh, of uh, home uh, match revenue that they're missing out on. And they're trying to claim we don't quite have it all in the copper, so if we can save any money, please help us out here. The boys are having none of it. It's very much a stalemate. They're willing to play even more games as long as they get the, their 100% uh, pro-rated salary. So at the moment, it's at a, a stage where the Players Association said, enough's enough. We did an agreement back in March. It's it, As in, they, uh, Major League Baseball can decide the schedule. Just tell us when we're back to work and we'll come back to work. And we'll we'll organise the money again at a later date. They, they they've had enough. They basically said right, no more. So as regards to how it's going to play out, it's a watch it's a watch this space. But the unions have stepped back and said enough's enough. Just tell us when the starting date is. Um, we've had enough of this talks. Uh, they're futile. So MLB Major League Baseball is up in the air now. In relation to playing, they're going to travel around and play in their respective home stadiums, uh, a la the way the Premier League and the, and the football's going. But if I segue into into another, are you happy enough with the Major League Baseball? Have you yet to come back on that? Because I was I've, I've four major organisations to get through, so I understand. No, 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 that, no that, that's fine, and that's exactly. I know they've got t- they've had two deals already uh, yeah. on the table and refused them. So it, it looks like it, listen, players very rarely lose out on these situations. So yeah, whatever way it yeah. comes out, the players are going to probably do well in here. Yeah, so more the, the the only thing that we can say is that there's pretty much probably going to be baseball, but just in in what in what format is is yet to be seen. So to jump into the NBA, the NBA as we talked a couple of weeks ago, they're going to do all in the one campus in the ESPN uh, World of Sport in Orlando. Um, they were all gone. They were all there was details for the details brought in this week that they were going to do individual workouts from the first of July and that they were going to start arriving between the 7th and 9th of July into the Disney campus, and then team training camps from the 9th of July, so on and so forth, and games would actually start, I think, from the 30th of July. So it was starting to become more and more real, yet some of the big hitters are starting to come out over the weekend saying, do we need to play? 
do we uh, press pause and, and reset everything? People like Kyrie Irving, who's a big, big name, and Dwight Howard, who's a big kind of star, who's now with the Lakers, and obviously he's with LeBron James. So obviously a strong chance of winning the championship. And they're coming out and saying that, you, that there's three big things that are going on at the moment. And is, there, is it necessary for us to come together, i.e. the pandemic? Um, they're a bit, um, they're not too happy with the restrictive movement of being stuck in this campus for two, three months. And then obviously they don't want to be distracting away from the Black Lives Matter movement at the moment. So it's an interesting stance that's coming from one or two of these players. And if it gets stronger and stronger, it could be, it could make it very interesting that a lot of the guys could step out and say, we don't want to play. So Howard was on CNN and he said, given the unrest following the death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police last month, that now is not the time for games. Basketball or entertainment period isn't needed at this moment and will only be a distraction. I would love nothing better than to win my very first NBA championship, but the unity of my people will be an even bigger championship that's just too beautiful to pass up. What better time than now for us to be focusing on our families? Mm. So, doesn't sound good. It, it doesn't sound good because some of these are big, big hitters, and obviously, there could be a lot of players underneath them that will follow. So, as much as everything is pretty much set in place, and there's a calendar, and it's all agreed, a couple of the players now are starting to put their heads up and going, "Do we need this right now?" Um, yeah. Because yeah. there seems to be bigger things going on. So, another one that's potentially up in the air. So, yeah, very, very interesting considering how much that looked like it was done and dusted. And then obviously everything that's going on over the last few weeks has definitely put a cat amongst the pigeons in relation to some of the players' attitudes to where to coming back. Yeah. The MLS has, uh, has decided to go Disney as well. <laughs> yeah. The MLS has decided to go Disney. Now, in fairness, if you were to really know the game uh, and really know the players and the clubs, it, it's very interesting. Long story short, it's basically a 2014 World Cup. So it'll be like what the World Cup used to be. So, um, I think it was from 1994 was the last time you had 24 teams, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a World Cup style and the winner will get the uh, Champions League playoff and the bigger prize, uh, the bigger share of the $1.1 million uh, prize fund. So it's basically five groups of four and one group of six. So they kept, it, they kept them split that the Eastern Conference was in the first three groups and the Western Conference was in the other three groups. And the top two will go out, go through of every group and then the four best third place teams will go in. And they've managed to put in a few of the rivalries in the same group for a bit of spice. So the very first game, I think it's going to be Orlando versus Inter-Miami for kind of a Florida derby. And uh, the Galaxy are in, I think, with... Uh, where is the group now? It's gone. Yeah, the Galaxy are in with LAFC as well, I think. So there's going to be a lot of kind of local rivalry. So really jazz it up in the group stage. And then obviously the last 16 knockout, quarterfinal, semi and final, as, as, as we all know. So if you were really kind of in, involved in the game and you knew MLS quite well, put it this way, if there was a Premier League version, we'd go nuts for it. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it could be a way of luring in kind of the guys who are on the fence or who are a bit desperate for football or a bit, bit desperate for sports. So, yeah. Well, well, I think they've done be, it interesting. Dave, it has to be better than the Italian football. I watched two semi-finals <laughs> the last two nights. I, I nearly slipped my wrists. It was unbelievably <laughs> crap. So, I wouldn't mind, right? Right? Because I was looking at this and what have you. It was very funny. I was watching a bit of uh, ESPN Sports Centre this morning, um, which is their version of Sky Sports News. And man, are they desperate for sport because they showed some of the rugby from New Zealand and it must have been the first time they did it. They hadn't a clue. 
Um, and it was very much the guy was reading from the script and and say it's mine. And Dave Bull goes over to Troy. A Troy is like a touchdown in American football. They literally obviously never covered it before, but <laughs> they're desperate for sport because there's literally nothing over there. I think about uh, golf and NASCAR and speculation, basically. Yeah, yeah. So America should have their sport back uh, within the next couple yeah. of weeks. And, and then, of course, Trump is not playing his part then, giving out to both the NFL and the MLS over the taking a knee during the during the national anthems. He's not going to take too kindly to it. So once again, he's doing a great job of bringing everyone together. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's... We won't go into that one. That's too deep for us, I think, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit. Uh, Civil war has erupted in the English rugby with players threatening strike action over totally unacceptable attempts by the clubs to make temporary pay cuts permanent. Peter, run us through this story. Yeah, it's quite big. It's been sort of floating around the last couple of weeks, but it's really now gaining a huge amount of steam now. And it potentially could have some very, very damaging effects, actually. It's the Gallagher Premiership, as you quite rightly say, Roy. All the clubs are looking to impose a minimum of 25% pay cuts to all their players. In fact, some clubs want to actually increase that from 25% to more. Um, Now, this has caused a fair amount of drift between not just the clubs, but the actual rugby union, which is the RPA, it's the Rugby Players Association. They've got involved quite heavily the last couple of weeks or so, because obviously they they don't want their members uh, to lose out. But you know, desperate measures, desperate times that all sports in at the moment. You can understand the reason why the clubs in particular want to impose these cuts because remember, there's no scheduled rugby uh, for people to actually watch in this country, not until at the earliest, uh, the middle of August. Now, with players understandably getting upset about this more than anything, and these pay cuts as well, it could possibly even push the season back further as the case may be as well. And the last I heard was that a lot of clubs are actually refusing to negotiate to any further with the players' union. So at the moment, it's getting pretty nasty, to, to, to be perfectly honest with you, in particular. Um, you know, everyone's sort of having a go at each... Uh, they're all trying to put their own point of view forward. But at the end of the day... Okay, rugby players aren't played, aren't paid, should I say, as well as uh, a huge amount of premiership players in football terms. No, but believe you me, a lot of rugby players, even the average type of rugby players, are on good salaries. All right, 25%, you can say that's a quarter of their salary. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, in these particular unprecedented times that we're all going through at the moment, it's not just sport that's having to cut back on. Uh, pay cuts and uh, salaries, wages, etc. It, it's everybody. It's all businesses as well. And rugby clubs is a business. It's as simple as that. You know, all the Gallagher Premiership clubs are businesses. Um, uh, all right, some make more money than others. True, but at the end of the day, they are all having to run a business. And uh, yeah, you know, it's coming down to players against club situation which is not doing the sport any good at all whatsoever and of course at the end of the day if it does really backfire on a lot of these clubs uh, it could get very very nasty towards hopefully as I say a, a, a some sort of start date around about the middle of August but uh, at the moment uh, Roy it's it's it is causing a huge drift amongst everybody yeah yeah it does it sounds very much like a take it or leave it 
you don't really have a choice yeah. here. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. I can't see the the rugby boys going on strike. So, I think I think it's it's the it's the new normal for the rugby lads. Tom, transfer talk. What have you got? What haven't I got? Um, <laughs> the departure of two legends of League One, uh, Edison Cavani and Thiago Silva, have been confirmed to be leaving the Parc de Prince on free freeze at the end of the season uh, following an uh, interview with their PSG director, Leonardo. Both have been long servants at the League One club, been there for many years. Cavani having joined in 2013 for 64 million euros, which at the time he was the most expensive French football signing. Um, Uruguayan has had eight seasons. He's their leading top goal scorer. Uh, he nearly moved away uh, in January, actually to Atletico Madrid uh, for 20 million euros, but it fell through with Atletico not happy uh, with the fee. Uh, this is all because of the, I think he's chosen to leave because obviously the integrated Icardi, who was actually on loan from Inter Milan first, but in January PSG signed him uh, for, I think it was 51.2 million with yeah. 6.5 uh, million add-ons. Uh, towards the end of the season. So I think it's probably a good move for Cavani to move out. Uh, obviously, he's quite mid-30s. He's 33 at the moment. But I think anywhere, any club would be happy to have him. I know Chelsea were linked with him in January. I think he'd be a great role model uh, for any young striker. But where he'd go, I'm not sure if he'd move. Obviously, he had interest in Spain and England. But I think I've, he could work really well at Everton with um, Carlo Ancelotti, obviously his former former yeah. manager of PSG. Mm. Or I even thought, obviously, if Werner does come over to, to England, I could see him at RB Leipzig. I know it's quite a young team, but you still need a good bit of experience in a team. I think he could be quite good in physical, which the German league can be. Uh, so I think he'd be a good good addition to that team. As well as um, Thiago Silva, obviously, uh, he's been at the club for a while. He's been a captain for now for a good few seasons. He's won seven championships with his time at the club. He has been linked uh, to Everton, actually, with obviously Carlo Ancelotti, but also a move back to uh, AC Milan, where he actually joined from in 2012. But um, I know that he could be, he could be a quite good addition at the back of a of a kind of an aging aging team. They're in they're in a bit of a transition period at the moment. I'm sure someone of that leadership quality would be. A great addition to a to a squad like that, but I don't know. I don't know where you guys think he they could yeah. end up. Or oh, no, I, I definitely think Tom. I think you're right. That could be an Italian move. It's a slower game. It would suit him down to the ground, and it, the Italians seem to take it. It, it. They won't take anyone under thirty. I don't think. I watched Inter. <laughs> I watched Inter Milan the other night with. I'm not. I hate to say Premiership rejects because that's not. That's very unfair. But the players who were starting to struggle a little bit, you had like Remy Moses. I know he was in the Premiership. He went to Turkey. Victor and, Moses. Yeah, Victor Moses. Remy Moses. He's a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> Victor Moses. Uh, yeah, Ashley Young playing left. Sanchez playing up front. And Smalling. You can Smalling is is over there. I think Smalling's probably doing the best out of them all. Uh, Ericsson's playing there, and he's not has been, but definitely it's somewhere where they. They can go and it's the, the football's that little bit slower and and, and they can fit in uh, that little bit easier. So 
I, I could see that happening, definitely. What do you think about Paris Saint-Germain? I always seem they have all the money in the world behind them and can't seem to do anything in the Champions League. What do they need to be able to challenge? Well, I, I don't know. I think... It's, I, I know everyone says it's League League One. It's not a most. It's not the most competitive league, but I, that is where they struggle. The only, I think, the only people that they really get at PSG are players getting on within their career and probably either want to look 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 to retire within a few years, but want to go out with a few championships probably under their belt. Which if they go to PSG, they're kind of not guaranteeing, but they're strong favourites going into that League One side. So I think they're at a bit of a disadvantage. They have the money to bring in lots of players. Obviously, Neymar's probably one of their biggest catches and Mbappe. But Mbappe's really young. He's making a name for himself. And he'll easily move on to bigger and better European giants. But I think within the league they're in, they will never be able to attract the players who want to do well in those European competitions. Because PSG struggled to get past the round of 16. They do that year in, year out, really. But yeah. I, th- I think the catchment area of where they're in, they need more competition within the league because you see, you see it that they get too relaxed and then mm-hmm. that's when their kind of composure drops. They lose the occasional game and then they get thumped in, in the kind of Champions League as soon as they get past the group stage where they meet the likes of Barcelona, Chelsea or Man United that's when they start to struggle. So I think it's the catchment area of where they are. They're, not, they're never, ever going to be able to recreate that competitive feeling because it's the league they're in. Yeah, and saying that, Porto, I know it was under Mourinho, but Porto did that, well, it's a good few years now, as opposed to 10, whatever years it is. But is the manager the right man then? Is Thomas Tuchel the right man? They look like they lack confidence when it goes into the group stage. Even against Barcelona when they were, what was it, 4 5, five one up and they still lost with three goals in the last four minutes or five minutes. They don't yeah. look like they truly believe that they can take, take on the big boys. Well, I think he's a great manager. Was it, was it Dortmund, wasn't he, before yeah. he took that? Yeah. And he did, a, he did a great job at Dortmund, but Fables PSG have also had some good, good managers over there. Uh, They've had Carlo Ancelotti. He's been over there. Um, they've had a number of strong high-end managers who know how to win, and they've they've more than less had the players to do it. I mean, you say Porto won the Champions League. They they just they had a good manager and they had grit and desire. Mm. But now PSG have got Neymar, who's all about flair and kind of not messing about, but doesn't always take the game seriously. And Mbappe, who's knows he knows how good he is, I think now. Um, but they have all, they have the combinations. They've had the combinations in the past. I think I think it is just a mentality of they don't know how to switch between League One or League One to a European competition. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's still doing a building process, I suppose. He probably has to the likes of Cavani and Silva, who's going to move out. He probably needs to get the players in that he wants to have there. And, and again, he has won the, the German title. So I, I suppose time will only tell with Thomas. Chelsea are confident they'll be able to sign Ben Chilwell from Leicester City if they secure a place in next season's Champions League. The 23-year-old has been in fine form for Leicester this season, but with four years left on the contract, 
they will have to put in a fairly decent financial package to convince the Foxes to let him go. I'm going to, Tom, I'm going to ask you on this one. What do you think the chances are on this one? I, th- I, think, I think the only way Chelsea would actually go for him is if that, if that initial price comes down, which I know Leicester City won't want to do because he's such an integral part to that, to that team. But at the valuation I've seen going around for Ben Chilwell of 75, 85 million, exceptional player. But I, I don't know if I could see Chelsea spending that type of money yeah. on him. I think, I think uh, if it comes down, I've seen 50 million ballpark, I think is probably quite a good deal for Ben Chilwell. So he's 24, he's English, he's young, he's Premier League proven, which is... Um, gives him that much advantage over the other left-backs that Chelsea have been looking around. Obviously, Alex Tellers from Porto. Um, seen Alexandro linked in and I can't pronounce his name. Telefigo? Telefigo. Yeah, that left-back. Obviously, having Premier League experience is just huge. And but I, can't, I can't see, for 85 million, I can't see him being the player that Chelsea need, I think. Obviously, left back is a place that we probably need to strengthen, especially going forward. Yeah. But for that price, I can't see Chelsea going for him. Well, it's understood that if that deal was to go through, it would trigger the £26 million deal for Marcus Alonso to go to Newcastle. So that could be factored in in, in, in what they have to pay out for Chilwell. Yeah, that, that is true. And I think Chilwell probably is, I think, over out of the two left backs to go. It would be probably Marcus Alonso. Um, with the players that are coming in, I think the departure of Marcus Alonso is probably a good, a good bit of business, I think, for Chelsea. Um, but yeah, if, if, that, if that deal does go through and Alonso does move out, that does reduce the deficit quite a lot. And Chelsea was an incredible player. And I think even if he does come to Chelsea, he's got bags of talent. He's just going to improve on from there, which obviously improves that England national team of... Chelsea using so many young England internationals at the moment, but uh, we'll see. And, that and uh, Frank Lampard seems to be doing some very interesting business and quite good business, even though they've only brought in the one uh, yeah. from Ajax uh, at the moment. The names that are being branded around and the likelihood that they're going to be done, it's it all bows well. Like I mean, they have uh, talking about Guy or Kai Havertz today, and yeah. it's something that you could see. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. He's a ton of the, the stuff I've seen from him in the Bundesliga was insane. He's so versatile, playing in that centre mid role, cam role, centre forward role. I I did do an article actually um, on would is Kai Havertz the player that Chelsea needs? And looking at looking at the squad, so about eighty million for Kai Havertz. But looking at the squad that Chelsea have, especially within midfield, lose bringing in Havertz means the likes of. Mount comes out of the team. Who's had? I think he's had a, a, such a good season for Chelsea. It'd be a shame to see him lose his place. Um, <laughs> but I can see because I've seen Jorginho being linked away. Obviously, there's been no confirmed, but there's been uh, rumours that Jorginho could be linked away from Chelsea or Kante, with Kante looking perhaps to leave because he doesn't quite fit into Frank Lampard's system. I don't think. Mm. Obviously, injuries impacted the contribution that Kante would normally have within that Chelsea group. But I think if I think the only re, only way Havertz comes in is if Jorginho or Kante leave 
I think so. I think there's a bit of a swap deal business. Could the they be? That... Could they be looking for something up front, maybe to challenge Abraham? Yeah, I suppose that's. I suppose if you deploy Werner on the left, that's the fascinating thing with all this. All Chelsea bringing the likes of Werner in because obviously we haven't seen. Obviously, Zayac will be deployed on the right. Werner can go through the middle or on the left. But you also have the likes of Christian Pulisic to come back into that team. Yeah, <laughs> uh, who's obviously twenty-one years old, very young, and flat. The way he played in the Premier League for those few games, he was emphatic. The way he he was it was hazardous kind of driving at that. Uh, opponent's defence which Chelsea haven't had for a while but yeah Havertz obviously he's more of a probably a hold up not he's not a hold up player but it's a played in and then Werner obviously Werner on the left I'd quite like to see perhaps a narrow narrow formation from Chelsea from time to time with the two up top a cam in the middle and two wide centre mids mm. I think that that could be an area to deploy especially if Havertz comes in that works superb, superbly yeah well, all to be seen, but uh, good names and a positive vibe around the transfer situation at Chelsea. Dave, what have you got? Aaron Ramsey could be done and dusted after one season in Syria, um, but not quite as we seem. Um, they're more than happy with him, but they have been very heavily hit financially with the coronavirus, and there's a trimming of the wage bill, and he is on allegedly four hundred grand a week. Exactly. So unfortunately, he could be one of the first out the door because that's a massive, that's a massive, massive wage, providing that's all true. So it's not necessarily down to performance. It's just they've been hit in the pocket and it's kind of got the tongues wagging. Spurs is one of the ones that are quite common in it. I think it's a bit silly. I don't think he'd go there. I don't think he'd fit there, to be honest, under Mourinho. Um, obviously, United, but a player just has to be breathing and United get um, get linked. So it's very much you'd expect him to come back to the Premier League, but who's to say he will? But yeah, well, if that's the case, it'll, he's definitely going to get the tongues wagging in the papers for all the speculation of which, t- which, which teams are going to But for that wage, you'd be, you'd be doing well. Well, that's it. The, the wage is, is astronomical. So, And with every club being hit around the world, it'd be very hard for anyone to match that. So it might be hard to see Ramsey agreeing to leave when he's Possibly, yeah. there not even there a year, he's settling in, he's getting his nice money, and would Juventus then look for a fee? If they're looking for a fee, put clubs off, right off. So there's a lot to go on that, and probably, yeah. you know, probably hard to see him move because of the wages and stuff. A bit like the way Sanchez was with United. Yeah, like um, his contract runs till 2023, and it's unclear yet whether they would, demand a fee is it more just getting the wages off or not so the reason why it's getting tongues wagging is because it could be a cut price deal just to get the wages off the bill off the um off the books yeah yeah, yeah. well it's interesting be- to see i think he's player, i think he's a player they could use uh a whole lot better he's he's an honest lad as well so mm. yeah that'd be that'd be an interesting one he, he could be a good First off, there for the likes of Paris Saint Germain. Actually, if any yeah. if anyone club can afford him, PSG could be that. Yeah, that team. Mm. Definitely, he's got strong champion Champions League experience. He's mm. experienced player, and I think he'd probably work quite well in that if Juventus were looking to offload him. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good shout. And obviously, they have the the funds behind them. So yeah, it'd be someone like that who would be able to afford them. Uh, Tom, or not Tom, Peter, what have you got there? <laughs> 
Just quickly on that, Aaron Ramsey, I'll say my two pen if well. Uh, great <laughs> player when you can get him off the treatment table. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that is, no, seriously, yeah, I don't mean that, you know, uh, loosely. That is his problem, isn't it? You know, if you could get three quarters of a season out of Aaron Ramsey, I think people would be quite prepared to pay a lot of money. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, the doubt, I think, more than anything, is his proven bad injury situation, unfortunately for him. But he's just that type of a player. So, you know, I, I think he will not go anywhere and uh, pick up what, as you said, Roy, that astronomical amount of money. Uh, why not uh, over in Italy? Um, anyhow, transfer talk. Um, Jaden Sancho, uh, world-class player, as we know, young player, uh, done remarkably well at Dortmund. Um, a lot of people have, understandably so, been uh, after the signing of uh, Sancho, but... It's looking like he will stay in Germany and he will stay with Dortmund. Reason being is that Manchester United, apparently, who are keen and have been keen on him for a long time, they are unwilling to pay his, uh, wait for it, £100 million asking price. Yes, I did say £100 million. Uh, And an interesting point as well, which makes me think, understandably, that's one reason why he will stay. The the other reason is that Gareth Southgate recently said that uh, Sancho should actually stay in Germany with Dortmund because he's getting regular football there. And I 100% agree with Gareth's uh, point there. So, uh, mm. uh, yes, um, a lot of good, as I say, a lot of big clubs, understandably, would like his signature. I mean, he's, he's immense talent. He's grown and matured for the last few seasons, it has to be said, especially at uh, Dortmund in particular as well. I know you could turn around and say the problem with Dortmund is they're never going to win anything, which fair point. I hundred percent agree with that. But at the end of the day, you know, a hundred million pound asking price with, with finances now in the football world. I don't think so. Yeah. He, uh, there was in the papers there this morning and maybe yesterday as well, but definitely this morning that Liverpool are strongly linked with him. But we all know that no one wants to go there. Timo Werner not showed that. So careful now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, like, what what benefits would he get from leaving Dortmund? Well, I suppose the benefits more than anything, Roy. If he left Dortmund, it depends where he'd end up. You know, it, 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 w- would he come to England? Where would he go? I mean, you know, you're talking about Liverpool strongly linking with him, but remember, as you said, uh, Timo Werner was a hot favourite to go to Liverpool, and Liverpool refused to pay the actual uh, buyout clause, which yeah. was, what it was, 53 million. So there's, there's no way they're going to pay 100 million, are they, for, for, no. for, for uh, Jadon Sancho? I'm absolutely convinced about that as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, if he, if he ended up back in the Premier League, it's, it's difficult to say. Uh, you know, I, suppose the, I suppose the obvious choice, and they would have the money, understandably, would be City, Manchester City. But, you know, would he go there? I don't know. It's difficult to really. Or are you looking at the likes of a a Real Madrid? You're looking at Barcelona? But again, it's all about finances, isn't it? More than anything else. And of course, these so-called big European clubs at the moment, to be honest with you, are not going to have the clout and finances behind them that they have had in the past. So Mm. it's a difficult one, Roy. But no, personally, I, I... I do agree. I just think he's, he will end up, certainly for a little while, I'm not saying he's going to spend the rest of his life at Dortmund. No, almost yeah. certainly not. Or even in Germany, no. But he, I think he will stay there for a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah it's difficult yeah. because, as 
you know, it's all about the money situation, isn't it? More than anything else. I mean, if he's got a hundred million pound asking price, you know, that is just, all right, as I said, he's immense talent. He's got everything. He is the real deal. Yes. Um, he, he's, he's a youngster. He's got years ahead of him. Yeah. But as I said, in, even in today's astronomical financial situation with uh, wages, not just in England, around the world in particular, that is a, I think a very, very high price, definitely. Yeah, I, don't, I, I can't say. I, I've watched him since he's come back. He hasn't done much for Dortmund since he came back. For whatever reasons, he hasn't done much. But one of the reasons why I think is he's young and he's not always going to be good and he's not always going to be excellent. So 100 million is a, a high price for someone who isn't a complete player yet. So he very well may stay there. Dave, just on that, because obviously he's joking mm. about the, the Liverpool situation, but you touched on it last week, and, and it's started becoming a little bit more real, even when Peter just says they're, you know, they're not willing to pay £53 million for Werner. Mm. They're, they're not going to be willing to pay £100 million or £90 or £80 million for Sancho. So does, does it make it a little bit more worried? With the Sancho-Liverpool one, I'm not too concerned because I think the reason why it's around is because the Manny story still simmers in the background that if Manny goes is he the answer? Is he going to be the replacement? Because obviously if somebody of Manny's ilk goes, they, like obviously that's where money kind of goes out the window because no But just on adding to the squad you know, it, it doesn't Oh, on adding to the squad I, I wouldn't personally spend that much money on, on adding to the squad, absolutely not mm. 100 million for somebody who's not going to Re, like you want to be somebody pretty special in, to, to break into that front tree providing they stay so I wouldn't be overly concerned about the spending of that money but if they're spending that money it's because obviously one of the front three is gone in my opinion so yeah. in relation to Sancho yeah now 50 odd million for a Werner yes can Liverpool afford that 100% I'd be a bit worried that they're not willing to, to, to shell out that money on that but 100 million on Sancho it's only for one reason only and that's because one of the lads is gone yeah well, you might, you might get Alexis Sanchez on a free, so that's, that's, that's a positive. <laughs> uh, news coming through during the week that a two-fight deal had been agreed for 2021 between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. Dave, this got a lot of attention yeah. for various reasons. Uh, more so, uh, one aspect of it, now I don't know for Peter and Tom how much of it they, that's, come, that's gone across to yourselves, but certainly in Ireland, one of the big things about it is the involvement of a certain Daniel Kinnan. Um, Tyson Fury was extremely uh, vocal about how much it was his doing that got it over the line. And not only Tyson Fury now, it's been the likes of Bob Arum, the massive uh, top-ranked promoter, Frank Warren. Um, Eddie Heron's been a bit quiet about it because maybe he's playing, playing a clever game. But basically... Daniel Kinnan, he's a Dubliner who lives in the Middle East, and he and in July of 2018, he was identified in the High Court in Dublin as a senior figure in the organised crime on a global scale. Now, the empire was set up allegedly by his father, Christy, and Daniel is kind of obviously the son of Christy Kinnan, and he seems to be going legit, how legit that is. He's living in the Middle East, and he is the fixer, so to speak, for a lot of these Middle Eastern fights. Um, so that's where the big that's why it's more of a big story here not necessarily over the fight but the fact that it's Daniel Kinnan behind it all to finish that off in relation to boxing terms he helped uh, alongside Matthew Macklin set up MGM um, in Marbella which has now become MTK Global who are now a big player in the boxing game now he's allegedly not in 
I don't think he's employed by them, but he's now all of a sudden from not being employed to them now one of their top advisors, so to speak. So it's very much that's the bigger news of the story that he's very much coming to the fore and as a legitimate uh, operator, which uh, a lot of us in Ireland are very confused of. Yeah. Why are you being so upfront and honest in your name? And because of that, just to finish it up before you come in, Roy, it's even managed to make it into the our House of Parliament in the Dáil, yeah. where the Taoiseach has confirmed that there's been contact between the Department of Foreign Affairs and the United Arab Emirates regarding Daniel King. He was quoted as saying he was rather taken aback to see heavyweight boxer Tyson Fury in his video just dropping that name that you mentioned as if this was somebody who did not have quite a checkered history in this state and elsewhere. So very yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, and you, that's exactly what I was going to come in on. He says, the Gardaí's Cr- Criminal Assets Bureau say he controlled and managed the group and had associations yeah. that facilitate crime in Europe, Asia, Middle East, and South America. Um, yeah. So he's like he's heavily, heavily in there, and it looks like I'm listening to a lot of British journalists because none of them ever knew who he was, and they know a lot more about him now. It, it looks like the Irish government are going to make a, a pest of themselves and, and they're going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of people. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's, like usually these guys who are involved in this stay very much under the radar and very much don't want to be known, even though they pull all the strings. And now all of a sudden his name is... Now, that doesn't mean he wants it to be out there or maybe he does and he wants to try and rub their nose in it because he feels like he's so legit now his hands are clean of any uh, wrongdoings so is it him kind of rubbing their nose in it or is it maybe unwanted attention um either way it's not going to be plain sailing for them and with governments now involved it could get very interesting yeah the fight itself an interesting one yeah of course it is without a shadow of a doubt because like it's good to see that I think I was watching um, Eddie Hearn uh, with Dana White and Tony Belly on one of his podcasts, and it was very much like, it almost seemed like this lockdown has kind of made him realize, right, enough of the crappy build-up fights. Let's just get it on, and let's get it on again if needs be. Um, stop trying to protect the undefeated, uh, the record, and let's the best fight the best. And that's what this seems to be. Yes, obviously, uh, Fury has to take on Wilder and Pulev and Joshua still has to go on but now these guys have said right when that's done and dusted let's get it on and obviously we'll have a second second fight no doubt for a for a rematch for whoever is the is the loser and no doubt it'll create more hype and massive pay-per-views and everyone's got to be very happy and potential retirements for a retirement package for Fury Joshua it could be a retirement package if he loses the two of them yeah yeah and I mean the Irish government is one hurdle as you've said Deontay Wilder is another yeah, horse yeah. before this happens. There is talk he's had a, he's had an operation and mm. uh, he may not he may not be ready for the Fury fight in the autumn. But the next obstacle after that is Dylan White, who's banging that drum loud and clear now, and he's Absolutely. even talking that Wilder's out. I want in exactly because I think he he's needs like to have, the number he needs one to have defender, a shot, doesn't he? Yeah, of course he does. Like, yes, fair enough, he's had a shot with Joshua back in the in the day. But you, the whole point of these fight games, I don't know why the obsession was about protecting the, the undefeated records. Like, there's very rare top fighters. Obviously, Marciano and Kilzaghi are famous guys, and even um, Mayweather for that matter. But it's it's that, that's a rarity. It's simple as that. It's very much, you know, it's a fight game. That one punch, that one cut out cold. It's like so. Don't be so precious about this. 
get it on, get the fight on, and let them build their reputation up again. Kind of fight the middle tier guys and build their reputation, and then get in again. And that's what White has done. So he deserves a shot. You know, just because you fight one of the elite boxers once and get beaten, that doesn't mean that's it, you're gone forever. It's ridiculous. So hopefully this break and what Eddie Hearn was kind of intimating uh, when talking with Dana White, that enough's enough. It, the best should fight the best. Yeah. Well, they're all lining up, so someone's going to mm. knock the head off someone and we want to see it. So, Or maybe not if uh, the Irish government event. Yeah, yeah. Either knock the head off or assassinated. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> careful now. Find out fairly quickly. Tom, a story to finish off. Story. We're going to go to athletics that is slowly making a comeback uh, to the Norwegian superstar, Karsten Warho, oh, yeah. who uh, broke the 300-metre hurdle record at the Impossible Games in Oslo. Now, the Impossible Games was brought in uh, due to the cancellation of the Diamond League because uh, of the COVID pandemic. They came up with the idea uh, for the multidiscipline event um, it mainly included the Norwegian athletes who were kind of in and around and which broke the 18 year old record which was set by a Britain Chris Rolson in 2002 at 34.48 seconds um, he's an absolute he's 24 years old uh, war home he's been around for a while and youth titles, 2017 and 2019 World Championships. Um, and there's so much more to come from this this man. I've had the pre- pre- pleasure of watching him before and he's just incredible. But athletics are starting their new chapter now um, post this COVID-19 as they're bringing in a few of these kind of games. The next one is the Inspiration Games to be held on the 9th of July in Zurich. Zurich. Well, which is they're trying to go one better than Oslo. Uh, 30 athletes are to be included in this, um, in eight, eight events uh, in seven different stadiums. And we're even having a little virtual race um, with uh, Alison Felix, who's obviously based in California, having a virtual race over 150 metres against uh, the Olympic 40-meter champion uh, Miller Um So that will be exciting. Uh, it's a new chapter for athletics in this uh, closing closing pandemic. Yeah, um, I, I I like the names they're putting towards them. Impossible, inspirational. I wonder what they're, else they're gonna come up with. But it, yeah, it, it's great just to see any type of sport coming back. And track and field has uh, has always been great. You always look forward to at the Olympics, which unfortunately yeah. was is, it was called off this year. Uh, the Olympics next year, Tom. The, there's all sorts of talk and it looks like it's talk because no one really knows what's going to happen this time next year, but they're talking about a reduced Olympics next year. Can you, yeah. can you see it? Is it too early to call that? Uh, I, I think, I think it is. I think it is. I mean, we're, we're coming towards the end of the summer now, um, but there's with so much going on and it's slowly changing. Obviously some countries are completely out now. I think it's all. It's all. It's gonna. I think by. I think December is when you need to start calling these things. I know, obviously, there's so much organisation going in, but I think if you have a limited thing, you've got to limit. You have to limit fans and supporters within it. I think that's still going to have to happen. I think it's going to happen across a lot of sports, but I think to 
kind of stop and reduce everything completely now is is probably not the right idea. I think to have backup plans such as a reduced Olympics is 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 a good thing to do. But I think to commit to such a big event like that, I think it is too it's too soon. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter, what have you got to finish? Right, um, I'm going to go into the horse racing world, uh, Roy, because horse Ooh. racing in the England here in the UK has got back. Uh, it's been going on for the last couple of weeks, and history was created this coming weekend. In fact, yesterday at uh, Newbury, Newbury Races, a jockey called Ciaran Fallon, who is the son of former champion jockey Kieran Fallon, by the way, he, he certainly did his, his uh, dad proud because uh, he won on a horse called Intercessor, in fact, he beat uh, an even-money favourite, uh, Nasnari, by a head. But the main point and the talking point, and the reason he's actually created a bit of history, is the fact that Intercessor started off at no less than 200 to 1. Now, anybody will tell you in terms, that is a complete long shot by a shadow of a doubt. You know, a 200 to 1 shot really shouldn't, shouldn't have any chance of winning. But it did. And it's the joint longest price winner in British flat race history. In fact, the last 200 to 1 winner, you have to go back to 2016. That happened on the all-weather track at Wolverhampton. And that was a horse by the name of uh, Dandy Flame. But there you are, 200 to 1. And apparently the owner, they were talking to the owner, and he said, yeah, I always have a little bit of money on him. I always have done, because I think it's quite an old horse. And uh, he, he was quite lucky that he managed to put, I won't say a substantial amount of money on, but uh, a little bit more than what he normally does. And at 200 to 1, he was probably one of the few people who was celebrating yesterday at Newbury. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, well, he mightn't be the only one. It sounds like your cat had a few bob on the, on the horse there as well. <laughs> yeah, he was done. <laughs> Celebrating there, that's great. Uh, Dave, what have you got to finish off? Um, it, it was for two reasons. Now, we, we, unfortunately, us uh, technophobes, we couldn't get it going beforehand, but it was for two reasons I brought up the rugby. And unfortunately, I have to try and give the name of the tournament a go. The Aitaroa competition, which is the New Zealand-based teams from the Super Rugby. Um, obviously, the big, the big, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to play the soundbite is for no other reason than it's all 100% real. The commentary, the players, and most importantly, the fans. There was 20,000 in the stadium. New Zealand are currently... Am I right in saying they're, they've no new cases and there's no one being treated as, as of now at the moment? Correct, yeah. That's right. So, yeah. obviously, big atmospheres plenty to be cheerful for and then of course their, their religion let alone the national sport is back but not only that it was between the Chiefs and the Highlanders and basically Bryn Gatland sank the, his father's uh, his father was the coach of the Chiefs and Bryn was in the, with the Highlanders and it was a minute to go and he sank a lovely drop goal to win the game um, and 28-27 uh, and I don't, are you trying to get it? <laughs> just keep talking yeah you keep talking <laughs> but yeah just for that alone obviously there's a story in itself that the father that the that Bryn uh, defeated his father's uh, team but it was just the whole thing of just listening to an excited commentator and then you hear the roar of the crowd something that we're unfortunately going to be tried of for another few months here uh, watching sport in our, in our neck of the woods so for that alone it was exciting and, and it just goes to 
show you the difference between having fans in 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 in, in whatever stadiums or arenas and whatever sport you're doing. It was a massive difference, and it was such a buzz. As much as I love my rugby, obviously, uh, everyone knows that football and. Uh, is my is my number one, but uh, as, as much as I love my rugby, it just really brought me in even more. The fact that we had the crowds as well. So for that alone, YouTube, but just to get the buzz and to, to see what real sport is. is yeah, is, is I, tell, like again. I, I had it. I had it ready there, and it must have disappeared. This computer is crazy, so it's not prepared. I'd be another ten minutes trying to get back up again. So <laughs> yeah. we, we leave it there, but uh, <sighs> something like that. Um, yeah, it was close enough. Yeah, it's close enough to that. Okay, we're gonna finish that off. Uh, Tom, thanks very much for coming on. You've you've got that one out of the way now. It'll be a breeze the next time you, you pop on. So thanks very much. Have a look at Tom's stuff on thebigkickoff.com. He's uh, written some great stuff. Peter, thanks very much again, thebigkickoff.com. Uh, unbelievable amount of work that Peter puts into it. So thanks for that, Peter, and thanks for coming on the podcast each week. And Dave Bugle. Again, all the information that we always need from you all the time. So thanks very much, lads, and we'll see you next week.